Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast with your host, Dr. Yoni Rosenblatt. Today, we navigate the crucial process of preparing athletes for the return to sport testing. In this enlightening conversation, Dr. Tim Stone, COO and sports physical therapist, shares his expertise on ensuring athletes are not only physically, but also functionally ready to resume competitive play. In this episode, Dr. Stone discusses the comprehensive approach necessary for a successful return and uncovers the key components of the testing process, including assessing strength, flexibility, proprioception, and sport-specific movements. Tune in for a deep dive into the essential elements of getting your athletes ready for return to sport testing, ensuring a seamless transition back to the game. Let's get started. Welcome to the True Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, one of my very favorite people and physical therapist. Dr. Tim Stone is with us today to talk about all things return to sport. Tim, welcome back to the pod, man. Thank you. I am appearing on here far too often, I think, in the last couple of months, but um, hopefully... There's high demand. There's high (laughs) demand for Dr. Tim Stone. My inbox is full with requests for can we get the Australian back on. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no problem. Quick shout out to our sponsors, Spartan Flooring. They are hosting us today, and we're thrilled to be a part of their facility out in Bel Air. And of course, our ACL Masterclass from Table to Turf, which Dr. Tim Stone is the star of, um, is excited to sponsor today's pod. You're going to learn a lot about taking that athlete all the way back to field today. So let's dive in right there. Let's say we're post-op knee, any type of knee um, injury, post-op surgery, um, when do you, Tim, start thinking about return to field work with this athlete? Yes, I mean, that comes in day one, right? Like, what do we need to do? What boxes do we need to check off to get them to actually step on a field and start working with them on the field? But I'm sure the question more relates to, like, when does this become, like, a predominant, like, process or when is this the overarching theme of – Uh, return to sport um, or or part of their rehab process and and that's really to me when they're when they've completed that return to run protocol that shows me they have the proficiency um, to tolerate a volume of running and so now when I bring in field work I can kind of um, dominate the um, the, the sessions with higher intensity cutting work on a field and not focus so much on like having to worry about like energy systems or fatigue or, or things like that. And I know that we've already checked off some of those um, pieces that show me they'll be able to like accelerate or decelerate, for example, based on them having to get to that return to run program in the first place. So yeah. that's when it really dominates like the, the rehab landscape. Yeah, I loved your first answer. So already, this this is why my inbox is full with requests for bringing back Tim Stone, because the lens you look through from the very beginning is, how do I get my athlete all the way back to what it is they love doing? Usually, predominantly, it is running and cutting and things like that. And so that's really your goal, your long-term goal from day one. How do I get this knee or this leg and th- therefore the athlete ready to get all the way back on the field? That starts with how you're coaching quad sets. That starts with how you're coaching terminal knee extension because if they never get their terminal knee extension, they're never getting back on the field. It's important that you take that bit of knowledge from Tim Stone and apply it to the athlete in front of you and say, hey, these quad sets suck. They're boring as hell. 
they will directly translate to what it is you want to do. Sometimes what you want to do for a living, but at least getting back on that field. So I think that's an awesome answer. Um, when, when you start thinking about getting the athlete to do the sprinting and the change of direction and things that we usually kind of that coalesce into this field work, you're saying, I want to see them do a return to run test or program prior. What, what does that look like in your world? What is the return to run program? So the, the return to run program, there's a, a, a million out there. The one that we utilize most commonly is the Delaware return to run. Um, that I feel like is so well known amongst the PT community um, and, and as well as um, the physician community and also strength and conditioning world that we're able to communicate really effectively where someone sits in this return to run process by utilizing that program. That's why we utilize it here. It's not to say that there's not a better one necessarily geared to like a soccer player or a lacrosse player or, or a football athlete. I'm sure there are very much more specific um, specific protocols. However, this one just is very simple. And to me, it's less about the, the content of, you know, what's in the return to run program and more just the way in which it progresses an athlete uh, through each level or each stage. And it just gives a concrete guide that people are following rather than guessing each time yeah. to go out and try to run. Yeah. And, and I love specifically about the Delaware return to run is they have these soreness rules, right? So if they were sore um, immediately following, it stipulates, okay, how do, you, how do you respond the following session? If they're sore at the beginning of the session and it ebbs, how do you respond accordingly? So that that's one of the reasons I push the Delaware so hard. Sometimes I'll start a Delaware return to run depending upon how the athlete looks at different stages. I'll say, you know what, you're doing awesome. You're not going to have a problem with stage one. Let's start with stage three, something like that. Um, so it gives you a little bit of flexibility. What other tests do you need your athletes to pass before you take them out on the field? Yeah, so um, before they do return to run, which are, are, is probably the biggest jump in terms of like testing that we're, that we're doing where there's like a, a landmark that has, that has a guide for return to run and then return to field-based work. So that is... Um, 75% QI as a, as a minimum. So we test that using a tin deck, which is a relatively cheap way to get um, an isometric kick test. Um, yeah. Hold on, so, Tim, let me cut you off. I, yeah. want you to define, I want you to define QI. Yeah, so that's a quad index score. So we're, we're trying to see the symmetry between the affected and, and non-affected limbs. And so if we're looking at quads, it's just a, a simple like, knee extension kick test and, and we typically test them at 60 degrees or 90 degrees um usually both we're finding a little bit better um data on the 90 percent right now um so we'll do that the other one is the other direction and just getting um the same score but for hamstrings um so the same thing we're looking at 75 percent there as a minimum before they do the return to run protocol and so for return to field stuff, I like to bump that up at least 5%. So we're looking at that 80% um, proficiency piece as a minimum guide to start it, letting somebody start that. Um, yeah. So those are probably like the two biggest things. If you have access to nothing else except for the ability to like test your well, one, just quadriceps, that's going to be your biggest indicator of the thing that's going to tell you whether or not they're they're able to progress into into field-based work 
Yeah. And, um, and do, you, do you have a metric that you compare side to side or sorry, quad to hamstring on ipsilateral side with? Are you looking for anything there? Um, I think some of our clinicians do that. I'm not super f- as familiar with that um, process. I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would just say some of our clinicians have data that they would use to support that. To me, if we're trying to simplify this process a bit, the, the easiest and the most common one to find is that like QI of 80% in this scenario. Okay. And l- let's say this is a post-op ACL because we see more of that than anything else. Around what month mark is this transpiring? Do you hope all things all things considered and going well? Yeah. So the, the really the, the earliest that I'm like putting on cleats and getting on, on the field would be like that four and a half month mark. Um, I think in there are just so many buckets to fill up until that point. You don't, once you start that cutting process or that field-based work process, your athlete's going to want to dominate their life with those drills, with those exercises. Um, and if you start it um, much earlier than that, you're going to lose sight of those foundational pieces that you need to really, really recoup before it's safe. So four and a half months is the earliest but it's really not uncommon that we're not starting that process until six months with someone who's doing very well. Um, and, and if I'm at all honest, I've started this process with people at eight months and had them ready to play at nine months. If those other foundational strength power buckets are filled. So I think, you know, I've said this before, people don't forget how to accelerate, decelerate and change direction they just have limbs that don't have the like qualities that allow them to do those things. And so yeah. I just, I, I think you can't coach somebody out of a weak quad that can't accelerate or, de- or decelerate or out of a weak hamstring um, that can't hit top, top speed. Um, so I think so, it's just far more important. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's a, that's a great point. So, let, let's start there. How do you, what are some of the drills you make sure that they can do and are doing as they prove their proficiency to you to prepare them to put those cleats on? Yeah, so the, the first thing would be to be able to tolerate the running program. One, that's a check, right? No, no increase in knee pain, no increased swelling. They've made it through at least that level five, which is two miles straight. That shows me that they're going to be able to tolerate just like some of the forces that go through, you know, running. Um, So that's like the first box I'll check. Um, And then we're looking at different plyometric qualities. So um, we, we break those buckets down into, um, into two different, like into two, two different categories of, of your plyometrics. So you have like your shorter jumpy, like bouncier type things. And then you have your, your deeper uh, depth, more explosive type, plyometrics so first i want to make sure that they can go through those short shorter fast twitch um sharper pieces and then beyond that to now really start to change direction quickly they need to be able to get into those like deeper plyometrics okay so that looks like so that first bucket you talked about that rapid explosion that um the the smaller knee joint angles, that would be things like bounding. That would be things like quick skips, A skips, B skips, C skips, um, lateral shuffles, things like that, right? Did I leave anything out there? Uh, that hits probably most of most of them, yes. Okay. And then what, talk to me about the deeper ranges when you would start seeing those and testing those and progressing those. 
as soon as they're able to tolerate the the smaller types stuff. So as soon as they can they can get through that, then I'll just try to progressively increase those forces and loads within each jump by like adding bigger um, like bigger joint forces and bigger joint angles. Yeah, and and don't forget. Um... Don't forget the angle of these forces. So I think too often we get very pigeonholed into really thinking sagittal plane. You're thinking about up to a box. You're thinking about down from a box. You're thinking up and over a hurdle. Don't forget that this athlete is going to need to change direction eventually. Ways to prepare those would be what, Tim? Say, say that again for me, please. You repeat yeah, no, that. yeah, no problem. So I, I think we pigeonhole ourselves into sagittal plane motions. And, and that's good for acceleration, deceleration until we start changing direction. So I would say you got to start hitting things in the frontal plane, transverse plane, like snap downs at an angle. Like I spent all day today working on it was a hip hamstring dominant day from what tissues I'm going to be loading, but it was, it was rapid angled snap downs. It was um, rapid lateral lunge and catch, right? So now I'm playing with planes of motion. Don't forget that when you're taking your athlete back to the field, I guess, is, is all I'm pointing out that we don't just live in the sagittal plane. Like when you take them out to the field, it is multidirectional and you have to prepare your athlete to handle those forces. You have to prepare the tendon in, in a lot of cases and the joint to handle those multi-angle forces. So let that show up in your exercise prescription prior to taking them to the field outside of those examples that i gave of an angled snap down or a lateral bound drill anything that pops up in your mind like oh i like to do this drill before i take them towards putting those cleats on um specific drills no because i think i, I like just i would rather classify these into sort of different principles or different buckets like we spoke about before so we already just talked about and and apologies before i didn't really give a clear guide on what the terms were for those deeper angles and shorter shorter jumpy things so your extensive plyos uh, would be the category for those shorter sharper um type jump work and then plyometrics and then your deeper would be your intensive um plyometrics so i'm thinking about it more in terms of one plane and then two intensity and so when I'm t returning to sport, I think uh, I used to do this all based on, um, on plane of motion first, like linear is more safe and then frontal is more risky. And I think that's ingrained to us, like in school when we think about, you know, what's challenging or how does an ACL like tear in the first place? It's usually like predominantly like in that frontal plane. So we're okay, quick, assuming that frontal plane is going to be the, is going to be the hardest thing to get back to. Yeah, I think less of it like that now and more of it in terms of the intensity of the plane of motion. So I want to start frontal and sagittal transverse and rotational planes all at the start, but I want to apply a lower intensity to all of them to begin with and then just increase the intensity over those planes of direction rather than separate it so um, clearly and concise into like the intensity of a direction, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're talking now in a roundabout way of the many levers that we can pull to challenge this athlete. And so we have to think one lever we can pull is intensity. Another lever we can pull is direction of force, right? Or your planes of motion. 
a third is probably volume, right? H- how does their 10th rep look compared to their second rep? Um, and building that out and just making sure that the athlete has checked all of those so that the tissue is now robust enough to what it is that we're going to test them or train them in when we put those cleats on. Does that make sense? Does that sum that up? Yeah, for sure. The the one thing I would also add to this whole entire piece is when you're when you're watching and you're looking at an athlete subjectively when you're doing different planes of motion, the most challenging thing that a, a patient that's had an ACL reconstruction will have will have is that they're going to be quad deficient predominantly. And so where does that show up in every plane of motion that you're testing? So it's going to be more accentuated in your linear type Mm -hmm. acceleration Mm -hmm. and deceleration work so it's quite easy to identify it when you're doing those types of drills um this would also be like a shout out to saying like do frontal plane stuff early because it's it's less stressful yep on on the on the joint because there's there's other um hip musculature basically that's going to help them to do that and it's not going to be as quad dominant however when you're doing frontal plane transverse plane whatever direction direction it is, I always like to think, well, there's some sort of sagittal complaint, sagittal plane component to every drill. How are they managing the sagittal plane component of this predominantly frontal plane exercise? So that's a lot of mumbo jumbo to make that really simple. If you're having somebody do uh, a skater hop, so jumping from one leg off their right leg and landing on the left leg, coming back to the right. So, predominantly frontal plane but when they land they still have to get into that triple flexion position which is a sagittal movement in this sagittal plane yeah yeah and so you can see that if someone's struggling with um decelerating the knee in a frontal plane jump they're still going to show a sagittal plane deficiency their knee is not going to travel far enough forward over that over that toe when they land and then same thing for accelerating when they go to jump off that leg in a frontal plane position, they're still going to show a deficit in that sagittal plane, like translation of that knee going through or past that toe before they yeah. jump. So, yeah, I, I also think that that opens the door to beginning to sprinkle some of these concepts into your programming for the athlete and giving them a taste of either what they're dying to do, like put on cleats or prepare them for their desired goal. So it could be they're not ready to handle. Uh, max effort deceleration because of their deficiency in the sagittal plane but maybe there's room to sprinkle in okay put your cleats on we're going to work frontal plane we're going to work aggressively frontal plane and you can start to get really like their motor learning and motor control to be brought up to snuff but also let the athlete sweat a little bit in the frontal plane because they can control that better possibly than sagittal plane so that's a really good point and and i think worth considering when you're with an athlete three days a week, four days a week, and you're on month four, you've seen them so many times. You want to show them, Hey, we are progressing. Um, that's one opportunity to do it. Hey guys, quick pause and a quick shout out to this new masterclass that we just launched here at true sports physical therapy, myself and Dr. Tim stone put together a masterclass of ACL rehab, and we call it from table to turf. And the reason we call it that is because it's going to teach you exactly how to get your athlete all the way from post-op day one with the nitty gritty of regaining all of that range of motion with the tips and the tricks that we use here at True Sports Physical Therapy that gets our athletes better, 
faster and stronger and that's early and then how do you progress that athlete all the way onto the field with a ball in their foot or a stick in their hand or whatever their sport is and teach them how to accelerate how to decel how to change direction and all the mechanics that go in there what drills do we use to get our athletes exactly where they need to be back on the field and even better than before injury and i want you to sign up for that class now you can find it on our website you can shoot us a direct message and just say hey send me the course it's right now on sale so make sure you sign up now it is fully accredited to get you all of your continuing education hours sign up for the true sports masterclass acl from table to turf thanks guys so okay so they're let's say they're good in the frontal plane they're good in the sagittal plane they've they've earned the right to walk out of our facility to one of our turf fields let's say um and and they're going to be moving and doing some field work today, right? What's your warm up? How do you get this athlete ready to roll? Yeah, so first things first, you you have to get heart rate up, get blood flow to the area. Okay, they're you know most likely going to have some sort of like stiffness in that joint before they get going. So if you just jump straight into it, or you even go straight into your plyos for, for your warm up, um, which is next on the hit list, like they're not going to tolerate those well until they have a really um, good just just basic general body warm-up so whether that's a couple of times around the field jog slow um where they're just starting to get some like reps in there that's fine whether it's like if you're limited on space it's more of like an assault bike warm-up or a bike warm-up something that's going to just start to like redirect blood flow like into the legs um into the into that quad specifically for 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 this athlete that's that's first on the um on the ticket there then I'm going to move into those extensive plyos. So we're going to do some bunny hops. We're going to do a little bit of that like uh, slalom, like mogul style jump side to side, um, forwards, single leg versus double leg with that, just so we're prepping the knee again for what's about to happen. And then we're going to do some uh, more deeper intensive plyos, so a little bit more like uh, either like start with double legs so or some, some, some forward bounding, there then moving into some single leg so we're going to go like side to side forward with that but we're going to get greater depth and then after that we're going to just go through a few little um like drills of like a 10 yard a pace depending on what it is we're going to do from in the day that's going to be more specific to that day so if it's a linear day i'm going to have them just run five yards breakdown run five yards breakdown run five yards breakdown run five yards breakdown just repeat that process so they're getting the skill work of what we're doing for acceleration and deceleration at a very low intensity and then after that we'll start to work a little bit harder we'll start that session so that's flow i, I don't know whether, whether that last drill i would put into the warm-up or the start of a session um probably your first session that that is the session yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, but once they get, you know, six, seven, eight months in, that's going to be like part of the warm-up and then you can start throwing things um, at, at them there. So if it would be like a frontal plane-based session, I would have them do some like more side shuffle karaoke type movements and those would be kind of like your warm-ups for the on-field stuff. So differences between that like uh, linear and frontal plane uh, type stuff in terms of what we're doing to prep the athlete to, to get started. Yeah, that that's really great. Um, you throw around the term... Um kind of sprint or jog and break down sprint jog break down what do you mean by breakdown how do you teach that first time out 
Yeah. So um, this is where we're, where I probably spend most of the time like coaching and queuing early on. And that's why I think it, it doesn't get out of my return to sport process ever. We do this every single time somebody gets out there. So um, there are different categories of this based on how fast you're running if you're looking at a D cell. So if we're looking at shorter, sharper D cells, we're looking at like a three step stop. And then if we're looking at like longer sprints with a hard stop, we might look at a four, five, six step stopping pattern. And so there's different requirements that, that you need to possess to be able to kind of like show that. And then finally, beyond the, the step count for your deceleration, we're also looking at what the foot placement is when you stop. Are you stopping um, in a split position? So one foot in front of the other, or are you stopping uh, with two feet even at the end of that drill? And so I'll play around with both of those two concepts, left foot in front, right foot in front, or both feet kind of uh, side by side in terms of the stopping patterns. What's harder? Um, if you're talking about the, if you're talking about like skill acquisition, definitely like that skater stop where you're one foot in front of the other when when your front foot is uh the operative leg that's the most challenging right because you're going to end up finishing on um that leg with all of your body weight to stop and then pivot and come back but both even in the reverse i, I would say like you can still see a deficit in what happens in like steps uh in steps one and two before that even when it's, you know, the, um, the non-op leg being the final finish. So like, are you doing enough work on steps one, two before the third one finishes or one, two, and three before you have the fourth one um, finish in front. And, and so that's, that's a piece of, of coaching it there. So we'll coach like stamp nice and hard before you get to that final pivot step or that final stopping step. Yeah. So that we're hearing, we're hearing left, right, left, or we're hearing right, left, right versus if you don't give those kind of cues we're going to hear like uh if we're finishing up leg the first step should be a heavy up uh operative leg stop it'll be super light and then it'll be really heavy with that non-up leg and then it'll kind of be like a short stabby step with that up leg again you know versus someone who's proficient at it will be pretty even with all three of those yeah. um deceleration steps so so those are great teaching moments and great cues right the sound of their step the distance of their step and then what i also like to do is film them a couple times and you can see what their their trunk is doing are they are they allowing their trunk to kind of stay all the way back trying not to put weight forward maybe they're avoiding that anterior shin angle and and an excessive shin angle on the opposite leg um and just slowing that down and showing that to the athlete it could be they don't even know they're doing it simply showing it to them is worthwhile visual feedback that can help. And then also allow this to color your next session, right? Cause you're going to see, Hey, maybe they're having trouble with that anterior shin angle or their positive shin angle. Let's make sure when we do our Bulgarians, when we go back inside or the next day that we're giving them a cue to keep that shin forward and so that they get more comfortable with loading that anteriorly. These are all great things to think about. Another thing is center of mass. 
how high are you staying? Like I will routinely see athletes almost like tumble forward over their plant leg when they go to stop because they're not able to drop that knee angle low enough to truly put the brakes on. So uh, sometimes it's as simple as holding a PVC pipe over their head making sure they land lower than a given amount. Or maybe it's, hey, you don't have the strength yet. Let's make sure that that shows up in your in in the rest of your strengthening program. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I actually have relied so much more on what's happening in the upper half of your body when you're decelerating, um, it, you know, in the past year or so, or two years even, than what's happening in the lower half. Because as I mentioned before, if you have adequate quad strength, like you're showing us adequate quad strength, what's happening in the lower half really does sort of just begin to happen again. Whereas what you're doing with your upper half in, in relationship to like the cadence of your, of your stepping pattern um, can really have a big impact. So there's two drills that I really like for this. Um, one, and both are stole, stolen from like, uh, like wide receiver drills. So the first one is like what we call like throwing your hands. So that's when you see like a lot of videos out there on social where you see like uh, wide receivers always will give you those like sharp choppy hands, but they're really aggressive with their upper body. If you throw a right hand really aggressively, your left leg also has to respond as aggressively. And so it can help facilitate loading into that, to that limb. So we're awesome for like hard um, arm, like heavy arm movements to, yeah. yeah, to kind of accentuate that. The second one I really like that I've seen in the last year, a lot used, I've been trying to integrate. Um, I don't think there's a name, but I kind of call it like a, a knuckle drag decel. So as somebody approaches a cone or approaches a line where they're going to decel, just to get them to what you talked about, lower their center of mass with a PVC pipe. In this case, I'm going to ask them to drag their knuckles across the ground or as close to the ground as possible. And so that gets them you into this really like compressed um, form or this uh, really like low body form and really challenges the quads uh, a lot when you're, when you're going to like decelerate quickly. So that's just trying to like drag your, your hands across the turf. Uh, you lose a little bit of that like reciprocal motion, but it really, really helps athletes to get their butt down and get their knees over their toes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's worthwhile. Uh, reminds me of my own storied athletic career that when I bumped up to varsity athlete, and we're running suicides, as we called it back in the day. When you run to that line, I just distinctly remember the coach blowing the whistle and being like, Yoni, at, at this level, we touch the line with our hands. And so a lot of times that gets lost on kind of the younger athlete. But if you're forcing the athlete to come down and touch that line that they're targeting, like exactly like you said, everything has to collapse appropriately. And they should have the knee strength um, to, to kind of hold that. Tell me about when... When you get this athlete out there for the first time, how do you manage volume and then how do you ramp it up or scale it back? Yeah, I, we used to play around with a certain amount of like contacts yeah. on, on the ground. I think that is really, really difficult to track when someone's like sprinting. It's easier in like a plyometric session. Um, I, I, I'm looking for like indicators of, of the athlete, like either getting better through the session or getting worse through the session. So if I'm giving a cue and they're able to load that knee more, I'm still going. Right. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they start to show me, like it's dropping, like we've hit that peak in terms of like, uh, mechanics or technique and it starts to back up, it starts to get worse. I'm cutting session right there. If it's 
20 minutes into the session, okay, I pivot, like we'll go do some strength stuff or something that's not plyometric based that they can still get some benefit out of. Um, but I'll say, you know, 45 minutes is, is in just, just, you know, fits really nicely into our, into our model, but, um, 45 minutes with, you know, a 10 minute warm up gives you that, you know, 35 minutes of, of like hard, heavy work is really for most of these athletes enough, you know, enough of a session, um, to get them kind of like going to the point up until they need to like return to, to practice. And you might maybe need to do it a little bit more there. It's also, it's a lot. You can get a ton accomplished in 45 minutes, especially if you're timing the rest breaks, you know, you don't get caught on a tangent. Like I often do. Like if you're really mining the clock, I think you get a, a lot done in the vast preparation we've had for this podcast and conversation. I was talking to an NFL linebacker that you worked with and he said one of his favorite sessions was one of his first field sessions with you um, in which he started to struggle and you would not let him try another repetition. Like it is not going to get better just by trying harder. You simply cut the session off and said, we're going to go do something else. And he did, you know, all the pissing and moaning he wanted you didn't even hear him. You just moved on to the next drill or or maybe the next setting. Because once you see that form start to go to hell, it, it's not coming back. And you're going to either learn at best bad habits or worse, cause some damage. So I think that's that's really astute of you. You got to be locked into your athlete. You cannot be on your phone. You can't be talking to other clinicians. You want to be watching how this athlete is performing. And as soon as you see that down tick and they've tried it a couple of times, go on to the next one. So I think that's I think that's really worthwhile. Um, okay, so as this athlete is progressing, you're seeing good form. When do you start thinking, um, I want to add a- another piece of their return to sport, whether it be I want them holding a stick, I want them chasing an object, I want them carrying a football, when do, I want them dribbling if they're a soccer player with a ball in their foot. When do you start to make that determination? How important that is, is that to you? So, uh, you know, we... We want to get those things incorporated into their rehab as, as early as possible in, in like a lower intensity. So, you know, you can add a soccer ball with like passing um, as soon as they start, you know, their return to, to run program. So same things with like wall ball. Um, if you're a lacrosse athlete, um, anything really like you can get pretty low level, like skill based work or repetition based work like very early on. Um, in terms of like having them produce, uh, like, a, a drill with the stick in hand or, or a ball at their feet, like that, that to me comes late, a little bit later on when they've shown me the qualities of acceleration, deceleration in all those planes. So, um, again, I think I've changed my mind on that too. Like I used to say like, you know, this person, just moves way better when you put a ball at their feet or put a stick in their hand. I just don't buy that anymore. What I think that is, is us as clinicians getting distracted by what's happening, like um, with their skill level, you know, with the extension of, of the sport versus like, you know, what they're doing from a mechanics standpoint. And they're probably still showing you crappy mechanics, but it looks good because they're good at their sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I would, I'm hesitant to like bring that stuff in until they're able to show me those basic skills of acceleration and deceleration in the, uh, in the frontal plane, uh, linearly as well. And then also from a rotational perspective too. 
um, yeah. then you like use that as a motivational factor for your athlete to get it or like earn the right to get a stick back in their hand in sessions with you or get the ball back on their on their feet in sessions with you. Yeah. How much as as the former lax doctor, how much does putting a stick in your athlete's hand change their mechanics that you're working on? I, it really, it really shouldn't if, if you're doing everything right. I, I think that timing is, is important. What terms, what's sort of like happening with your upper body and lower body. So like with a stick, um, you're, I'll, I'll use it as a conduit to improving like acceleration or deceleration. We talked about like throwing hands heavy, like with a lacrosse stick, I'll use it as a way to help improve like their ability to like accelerate um, from like a jab step. So having a stick in your hand um, gives them some familiar out, some familiar out, some familiar. I get that word also. Yeah, it's, a, it's, an, impo- it's an impossible word. Impossible word, um, especially for an Australian like me. Um, but and but me. you're a you're you're able to then like talk to them in terms of um, of movements and like terminology that they understand. So if I tell you to do like you know a right hand you know, uh, right hand to left hand split dodge exiting to the left, like the, the movements that need to happen to produce that come like this, you know, if they have the proficiency in the drills before it will also show up in that drill as a proficient movement. Movement, If they, if they don't have the quad strength to do that, it's going to sound funky. It's going to look funky. What the heck just happened to my, split dodge that was like my money maker yep, so yep. it's helpful to like reinforce movement patterns and progress the movement pattern but it certainly won't like clear up i think any deficits that they have going into those sessions yeah I, and if anything like you said I, I think it'll distract you from from the purpose of the session so i think you want to be careful about that you know maybe maybe there's room for it when you're doing balance activities to make it a little more spicy than just standing on a bosu but i think it gets i get i get frustrated when i see an athlete doing drills with their stick before they have perfected it without um i think too often we get we get too cute with it and and it kind of leads us astray how do you handle um the the ominous and the confusing well i kind of i feel it's in my knee a little bit but but it's fine so I guess my question is, how do you handle when an athlete has some symptoms on the field and when you're completing field work? Um, so first, like repetition of asking the athlete, you know, the first time you ask them, they might respond with that. And then if you follow up with another question, well, describe like the pain or, or, you know, what does it feel like? When is that happening? You'll get more from them. So usually they'll start to go down this path and then let you know, like, this is not okay anymore. They'll sort of like divulge more information. Um, but again, I think you can, I guess, objectively, quasi-objectively, like see when things start to break down. If there's pain associated with that, like you're pulling the pin um, yep. right there, there is no space and no room for, like cutting activities to say like I have some knee discomfort and and expecting it to get better with more work yep. right with more drills it just doesn't work like that we need to get yep. out of this like this thing we do as PTs because we don't have another option for them to regress we don't have yeah. yep we don't have another option for them to like apply some therapeutic technique for them in that session 
we just say keep going or it'll get better the more you run or it'll keep getting better the more that you cut it's just not that's not tr- that's not true it's not what not what we see on a daily basis here it's it's are you proficient can you tolerate the intensity can you tolerate the the volume with no pain Hey guys, quick pause and a quick shout out to this new masterclass that we just launched here at True Sports Physiotherapy. Myself and Dr. Tim Stone put together a masterclass of ACL rehab and we call it from table to turf. And the reason we call it that is because it's going to teach you exactly how to get your athlete all the way from post-op day one with the nitty gritty of regaining all of that range of motion with the tips and the tricks that we use here at True Sports Physiotherapy that gets our athletes better, faster, and stronger. And that's early. And then how do you progress that athlete all the way onto the field with a ball in their foot or a stick in their hand or whatever their sport is and teach them how to accelerate, how to decel, how to change direction, and all the mechanics that go in there. What drills do we use to get our athletes exactly where they need to be back on the field and even better than before injury? And I want you to sign up for that class. Now, you can find it on our website. You can shoot us a direct message and just say, hey, send me the course. It's right now on sale, so make sure you sign up now. It is fully accredited to get you all of your continuing education hours. Sign up for the True Sports Masterclass ACL from table to turf. Thanks, guys. Well, zero, uh, zero symptoms. Um, any symptoms with this stuff is like not acceptable in my, in my opinion. So, so I agree. I think that's totally true on the field in in the present but also what's the next day look like uh, right now i'm working with an nfl guy who they they being the organization is obsessed with alter g running and getting him on the treadmill coming back from an achilles rupture and it'll ruin the entire week of rehab he'll do it on a monday and he looks okay doing it but tuesday wednesday thursday the guy's sore he's limping around well was that a good use of time and if you're gonna do it why do it on a Monday if you know he's going to end up sore? Ha- fill up all those other buckets, and then Thursday or Friday, you know you'll have the weekend to recover. Maybe that's a time you dip your toe in the waters of field or running, um, things like that. And then make sure you are grilling. You're so good at this, Tim. Grilling your patient as to what was the weekend like? What was it like on Saturday? We ran on Friday. How would you feel Saturday morning when you woke up? How did it feel walking down the steps Saturday um, after you got up and moving a little bit? What was Sunday like? Okay, that will determine your Monday session, not, well, the plan stipulates we got to go back on the treadmill. That, that just might not be the right answer there. So I think that's, that's totally worthwhile. Uh, another thing I would highlight, um, me being a lacrosse uh, novice, is I will grill the athlete, probably not in that session, but during the the first part of their rehab leading up to the field of what is it you do for a living? What is your moneymaker? You know, is it a roll dodge? Is it a split dodge? What are you doing with a stick so that I can then mimic my drills when we get position specific or we get sports specific? I mean, I've had extensive whiteboard education of what a linebacker needs to do in various sets. So I can then take that information and become an expert on, okay, this is what our drills are going to look like. By the way, here's how it directly correlates to what you do for a living, even though I'm not a football player, I'm not a lacrosse player. I got to know their sport and their position so that I can use the drills to mimic what it is that they do the same way I'm very confidently able to say your ability to get terminal knee extension and quadriceps will translate into a run. Here's how. Let me show you on a skeleton. Same thing when you go to a field. So keep that in mind as you're developing rapport. 
you're really building this library of things to get to when you get on the field. Does that make yeah, sense? I, yeah, that, that makes total sense. And, and uh, um, a piece I would add to that is the best way to learn this stuff is to like one, get on YouTube and just like watch the position. The first place I would like, whether or not you think the combine is a, is a good way to, to see um, you know, what someone's like ability will be, in, you know, in the NFL or, or not. Like these are typically like drills they're going to do possibly like when they go to preseason or, or back into practice. So you can see like what types of movements people need to do. One is a great way to do that is to uh, watch film, um, watch, watch draft drills. And then the third place, which I really love to look at this stuff is, is get a good network of skill-based coaches that that work with this type of athlete and yeah. they've spent a lot of time like breaking down what skills are important for these um these athletes to do so i just pinch drills from them and apply it um to, to different drills that that week that i could do that will get them to show me something that that i'm trying to work on with them so in the lacrosse world like i look a ton at at, at dima class he's got tons of like simple skill drills I'd look and then um, Nick Tentel as well um, down, down in Texas as well. So we'll, we'll look at all of those drills and a lot of my return to sport drills, accelerating and decelerating. I'm just pulling something from what that skill coach does and relating it to, is this a heavy decel drill? Like what's the quad doing in, in, in this drill? Like, and would it be appropriate for my athlete now? Or would this be something I would apply to them? later in their rehab based on like the movements that they're doing yeah and and it, those those drills that you get from tinnel and from deemer that you can take those patterns that they're stressing and do a weight room session on them right and, and force the joint in those angles um to make sure that they are ready to do that i just had a, a great conversation with a linebacker this morning about what is transpiring at the achilles tendon in the 40 yard dash takeoff those first few steps how do you get all the posterior tissues taut so that when they take that first step they're being shot out of a cannon as opposed to now i got to recruit now i got to go forward recruit first that's why you see those sprinters lift their ass before they take off so that that achilles tendon can get taut and propel them anteriorly or forward to, to maximize their efficiency and power, that stuff is gold even early on when you're teaching these sessions. So make sure you do that. I, I would encourage everyone listening to take a look back in our library of podcasts to Troy Jones. I mean, he's made a living in preparing athletes for the combine, enhancing their 40-yard dash. He gets into how he teaches speed, how he teaches setup, all those things. Go back and look at that, but also find him on Instagram. There's so much information out there. You just got to make sure that you're spending the time to mine it and to look at it. Um, yeah, one one thing he talked about, I remember like listening to this to, to that pod too, was like the projection angle um, yep. of the athlete, like when they're performing a task. So um, if you can take a snapshot shot of the projection angle for any motion, motion, you can apply like some sort of external resistance in like a slower fashion and turn that into a, into a strength drill. So you know if it's it's somebody trying to cross somebody up like on a basketball court or, or dodge or, or get, get around uh, a DB on the football field, you can look at what that lateral movement looks like, you know, throw a slant board in there, get a cable column and have them do like a lateral type lunge uh, exercise that just mimics the joint angles there in a slow yeah. controlled overloaded manner. And then you're just re removing resistance, 
adding speed, um, adding complexity to the drill. And that's like your, your whole breakdown for, for a lateral movement right there, right? Slow, yeah. heavy resistance to build proficiency and then fast and more explosive. Yeah. And then, and then, yep. And then you're good to go. Yeah. And I, and I think the, you know, a population that you've become an expert on is, is pitchers. And the same thing would be rotational athletes, right? But it shows up in lacrosse too, right? Like how, how do we load appropriately rotationally? How do we get heavy rotationally speaking? What should the body be doing? What is the lower half of a pitcher doing as his upper half is rotating around a stable base? All of those things show up. And by the way, they show up in every sport. Uh, there are very few sports where we live in these just single planes of motion. So I think there's there's a lot of gold there. Anything, Tim, that that we kind of missed before we jump to lightning round that you you really think is important to highlight on return to sport? I don't think people call it that joke for starters about me and pitches. Um, and I also don't think people caught the joke about you being a varsity athlete because I think last week you told me you never made, joke. made varsity before. Okay, I never said that because I made varsity <laughs> in so many sports. Lacrosse was not one of them. Um, but that, so that was not a joke. So they didn't miss anything. Oh, okay. But Tim, you have become amazing with the shoulder. I mean, certain, certainly better than when you joined True Sports. Well, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a massive uh, jump from when I started. Oh, so okay. yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> go with that. Go with that. Okay, lightning round. The the Eric Cressy lightning round. Here we go. Short answers, Tim. Quick. You've never seen these questions, but here we go. What country makes better PTs? The USA, Australia, or New Zealand? I mean, you got to combine both a little bit of Australia and USA together, and you and you get this. So both of those. <laughs> both of those. Okay. And New Zealand is not on that list. Uh, no, they're, they're up there, but I'm, I can't give, I can't give credit to the Kiwis just because of, uh, just because of the rivalry right there. So no. And if, New Zeal- and if New Zealand are the Kiwis, what's Australia? I don't know. You tell me. I don't know. What do you guys call I, yourself? I don't, I don't, I don't ref- refer to. The ruse. Yeah. You, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. And, and us are the Yanks. Okay. What is your pet peeve that you see PTs do with their athletes when they return their athletes to the field? Oh, I mean, I think we spoke about this, get a stick or get a ball, uh, you know, on their feet or in their hands far too early. Um, two is not listening to your athlete uh, when they're performing the drills. And three is having a, a set session where you're not able to manipulate, change, lateralize or swerve from, from what you're doing when you're seeing uh, mechanics that you don't like hell yeah dude you got to be able to lateralize that's what i always say always. um that's really that's really good okay um how do you determine when to take your shirt off when you're posting an instagram video of you working out yeah this is this is a um this is this is a real a real tough one here basically like the morning i wake up and you know whether or not like i'm feeling myself or or i'm not shirts on or shirts off so uh Monday, Monday mornings, usually a little bit groggy. It shirts on from then on, shirts off the rest sure? of okay. the week. <laughs> okay. Six out of seven, you're not wearing a shirt. Okay. What is your number one goal for 2024? Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of, of a little, little goals and, and things in there, but I think for, for the most part, what, what I would like to do is, is um, progress this profession in some way to move outside of like the fee for service type model for PT. So um, whether that's like consulting on fitness and injuries in general to uh, corporate 
structures or or teams or or athletes. I would like to do. I would like to be a part of that um, process, and then also being able to expand upon who we can offer this this awesome um, thing that we do as PTs, not just within the silos of our clinics, but across across the country or, or across the world. So how do we how do we get this to a point where we can get easy access to somebody in Iowa? that could really use true sports or somebody in, you know, in New York that doesn't have, uh, it doesn't have access to a PT that has specific lacrosse background. So, um, those two, those two are probably like my two biggest goals for this year. Okay. Awesome. I can't wait to see you achieve those goals. Um, what do you wish you were better at PT wise? The shoulder, of course. <laughs> How could you get better than you are currently with a shoulder? You're basically a shoulder expert. Okay, that was just my attempt to get you to say the word shoulder. Okay, where is Tim Stone in five years? That that's a that's an even better question. I have absolutely no idea uh, what that looks like. Um, I think if you if you know a little bit about my life, where uh, I'm I'm a day to day kind of guy right now. I got a lot a lot of little kids that that are that are uh, take up a, a, a lot of my time out, outside the clinic. So um, if I'm still doing this uh, and, you know, and, and we're still making the impact on the sports PT community in some way, yeah. I, I'm happy. I'm happy with that. Um, I wouldn't say I have a specific uh, goal for world domination at all. Yeah. Well, you're achieving that, whether it's your goal or not, um, you are achieving it. And I appreciate it. Tim Stone, as always, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of expertise, a, a refreshing outlook. I love to hear the way you used to think and the way you think now. Um, and you highlighted that a couple of times. It just seems like you're always growing. Um, where can this unbelievable family of sports physical therapists find you? Um, yeah, easiest place is probably through social media on my Instagram account, which is dr.stone.dpt. Um, and then I guess I'm on LinkedIn as well. And my email is Tim at truesportspt.com. Um, that's pretty easy. Or you can just call our office and, and, uh, ask ask for Tim. And I'll get back to you. Yep. There you, there you go. Um, you can also find Tim on the ACL masterclass from table to turf, sharing some of this wisdom and, and so much more. So make sure you guys get all of your CEUs through that course. It's an awesome course that Tim worked really hard on. Uh, there's, there's even more knowledge there of how to load your athletes, how to get them ready for returning to sport. But then what does that athlete look like? at month 9, 10, 11, 12, ways to progress those drills, way to scale them, way to make them sport and position specific. There, there's so much great information there. So look us up there. Um, that's that's available for download. And I really appreciate your time, Tim. You were awesome as freaking always. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Thanks everyone for listening. Appreciate you guys.